Hi, I'm Philip Santillan, pastor of Clarity Church, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen or view this podcast of a message from one of our Sunday gatherings. Before we get going here, I just wanted to communicate to you the deep conviction we have regarding this message. This free message resource is not intended as a broadcast ministry, which would create virtual attenders listening from home rather than getting involved in their local church. We hope that no matter where you are on your faith journey, that this podcast is only supplemental to your relationship with the Lord and in no way replaces the local church that you should be plugged into or the pastor God has put over your life to lead you and care for your soul. So please enjoy this incomplete portion of this past week's gathering. We have prayed that God would use it in a profound way in your life and that from it, you would gain clarity on who Christ is. I'm thrilled to be here. I counted a blessing that Phil invites me every once in a while to come and share the message here. And so uh, another great day to share with you what God has been doing in my life through this, this verse that we are going to study this morning. But first, I know what you're thinking. You want to know the behind the scenes, how it all works when Phil asked me to come and sh- share. So have you all been dying to know what happens? Yes. I, there are two people in the front who always answer my questions, which I love. So, <laughs> all right. So thank you, Gary and Debbie. So um, Phil emails. Phil actually plans this all out months ago, right? He, so he's got an outline of what verse is going on what's, what week, which I'm very impressed with. And then he emails me a couple months ago. And I ignore him because I don't have time for Phil. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I am a busy person. And so I ignore him thinking he will just decide that he is going to speak every message. And about a few weeks ago, I, um, Leona and I were going somewhere without Phil and the kids. And so I came to pick her up and I encountered Phil in their, their kitchen. And he says, are you going to teach one of these messages? And I feel like when you get asked twice, it's like a sign, right? Like you can't really say no. So I said, fine. And so we went in the kitchen and poured over his computer and these verses. And so I looked at them and I said, uh, blessed are those who are merciful. I'm like, nope, that's not me. And then blessed are those who are the peacemakers. Nope. <laughs> and so uh, we landed on this verse. <laughs> and But I, what I realized as I was going through that with Phil is that I was looking at the the Beatitudes, which is what we're studying as a checklist. And I don't know how many of us look at our faith as a checklist, right, of things we need to do instead of a relationship with Jesus, right? And what I have loved about this series and Phil's reminders of this series is that all of these things are not things we kind of pull up our big boy and big girl pants and do, but they're things that God has to do in our heart so that we can experience them. And so um, maybe you're, you're a list person. So I, I decided there were two types of people in the world, and I felt that that was really inaccurate, but anyway, I'm going to go with it. Uh, there's the list people <laughs> who write everything down. Some of you have lists of where your lists are, right? And some of you are so extreme that you don't have something on the list, but you did it, and so you have to write it down and cross it off. <laughs> Public service announcement, stop doing that. All right. Uh, there are others of us who do not make a list at all, right? It's all in my head. It's fine. I, I do forget some, but it's fine. Uh, and so, um, but today I want to just encourage us that sometimes we have made our faith a list and God wants a relationship, right? 
And so a little bit about my story. I uh, grew up in a family that did not go to church. My dad had had some, had gone to church when he was little, but had some traumatic experiences in their family. And their entire family, as he was growing up, had stopped going to church after this happened. And uh, when he married my mom and I came along, he told my mom he didn't want us to go to church because he had seen it or viewed it as religion. And so he wanted me to choose my faith. And so we never went to church. And to be honest, I, I didn't miss it when I was young. You know, we slept in, had pancakes for breakfast. I have no idea what we did. It was a very long time ago. But I'm assuming that's what we did. So, uh, um, and so if someone were to ask me, what Jesus is talking about here is the kingdom of heaven. And if someone were to ask me, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? How are you going to experience the kingdom of heaven? I would always reply with my checklist, right? I'm a good person. I, uh, I always try to be honest. I always try to be nice to people. And even some days I would say, I'm going to be less bad than other people. Has anyone ever said that? I don't know. So uh, I decided that's not a great life strategy, being less bad than others. And so when I got to college, I met some friends who had a different approach. And everything was turned on its head for me when they really explained that it wasn't about how earning your way into heaven, but it was about a, a relationship. And after months of struggling and wrestling, I don't know why, but I really felt like I was committed to the earn your way to heaven situation. But uh, I decided to do things a new way. And I decided to start a relationship with Jesus. And, um, and trust him to pay for my sins so I didn't have to keep earning my way with my checklist. Well, I continue to grow in my faith, but the reality is, is I still maintain this idea of a checklist. Not to earn my way to heaven, but to earn God's approval and the approval of others. And so I still felt like I was on the, you know, that little hamster wheel that hamsters ride on? Does anyone have a hamster? No. Uh, it's hard to get off. I feel like it's hard to get off for them, and it's hard for us to get off. And so how do we get off that, that need to have that checklist for our faith? The reality is, is that the Beatitudes, which we're studying, has a logical progression, right? So we started, if you were with us three weeks ago, you know that we started with the poor in spirit. And the poor in spirit is really acknowledging that we need Jesus, that acknowledging that we can't earn our way into the kingdom of heaven. And then we went to um, mourning, and really mourning is that consciousness of our own sin and allowing it to break us. And last week, Phil talked about meekness, and he defined that as the strength to be selfless, the strength to not pursue our own agenda, but God's agenda, and serve others. And so today, we're going to talk about something a little different. Uh, Verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When I first looked at this verse, I thought, uh uh-oh, I thought my notes are stuck together. Uh, (laughs) I... um, I thought, what does this even mean? Does anyone feel like that? And, uh, and one of the things I've loved about what Phil has been doing is reminding us that these, these several verses are about um, not what we would expect. They show us that God's ways are not our ways. And that what we would do to try to get to the kingdom of heaven is not what God requires, but something wholly different a work of his movement in our heart. And so today I want to share with you that sometimes we get caught up in the lists when God wants our hearts. I'm a life coach. Many of you have heard this before, but if you're new here, you have never heard this. So 
lucky for you, you get to hear it again. So when I'm not here, I'm a life coach, a Christian life coach. I help women kind of find purpose and faith in their lives. And so uh, one of the things we do with our clients as life coaches is we start where we are today. And so I'm wondering where you're at today. And some of us have never heard the Beatitudes before. We've never heard them taught. We're still wondering what it even means to uh, seek righteousness. And today, our next step may be just finding out a little bit more about what Jesus means here. Others of us probably have that relationship with Jesus, but maybe we still feel like we're on a performance treadmill, that we're still seeking God's approval, seeking the approval of others. I totally relate. I am a chronic people pleaser, and so I'm always wrestling against this idea of performance. And so today, I want to talk about how we can get off that treadmill and hunger and thirst for God. And so with that, the reality is that the kingdom of heaven is not about what you do, but about the state of your heart, right? It's not about what you do, but the state of your heart. And, uh, and today we're going to un- un- explore that and unlock that and really um, talk about that just a little bit more. But before that, I had three questions when it came to this verse. So I will just confess to you, I do not like uh, te- teaching on one verse. There is just not enough material. Thanks, Phil Santillan. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but I did it. I, I explored it more, and I had three questions when it came to this verse. And I'm thinking maybe you have the, those same questions as you think about this short verse. One is, what does righteousness really mean? What is Jesus really talking about here when he says righteousness? The second is, what does it look like to hunger and thirst? Because we know what it's like to hunger. You know, I have a craving for pizza. But we don't know what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then, I don't know about you, but I don't, there's promises throughout the Bible that says we'll be satisfied, we'll be filled. But how does that really happen? And I don't know that I've always experienced that. And so, are you ready to get started? Thank you. Gary and Debbie have responded again. So, <laughs> so first, I want to talk about what, is, what does righteousness mean here. And um, so we're going to go back to old school. Um, Phil sometimes mentions this when he introduces me, but uh, I've been to seminary at Bethel Seminary, and um, I have a degree, and our old boss actually called it cemetery <laughs> because you learn a lot, but it doesn't really prepare you to actually do ministry stuff. So, uh, so there you go. So, but I, I went back to some of my old books there and did some study on what is Jesus really talking about here? And so there's four types of righteousness that we can, we can consider in the Bible. And the first, uh, kind is imputed righteousness. And so you may have heard, um, maybe not imputed righteousness, but justification. If you've been around the church for a while, uh, these are big words, so if you don't know what they are, it's, it's really okay. So imputed righteousness is this idea that when Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins, and then we have entered in a relationship where we um, trust him to pay for those sins, he declares us righteous. So he kind of transfers his righteousness to us. So he imputes it to us. And so when does this actually happen? This actually happens when um, you transfer your hope from, like I did, from earning your way to heaven to trusting him to pay the price so you could get to heaven. Does that, I hope that makes sense. And so that's imputed righteousness. Now, most of the commentators I studied do not think Jesus was talking about this for a couple of reasons. And the first one is, is that this concept is actually implied in verse 3, where blessed are the poor in spirit. They realized they can't earn their way and they need Jesus. Uh, the other thing is, 
most people don't really hunger and thirst for this kind of righteousness. It's kind of a, once you start that relationship, it's yours. And so that's not something you have to keep seeking. And so a lot of scholars don't think he was referring to this kind of righteousness. The second kind of righteousness is actually moral justice. And the reason this is even considered here is because some of the translations actually translate the Greek word as justice instead of righteousness. And the idea behind moral justice is obviously helping those in need, helping people find what they deserve, right? So getting people what they deserve. And, and uh, Jesus actually talked about a lot about justice. I think Phil actually referred to this a couple weeks ago in Isaiah 61, where he came to uh, bind up the brokenhearted and help the oppressed. And these are all really good things, and he talks about them elsewhere. But only a few commentators actually think this is what he's talking about. Most think he's not talking about this due to the context of the, the, um, the sermon. So then there's two more. So the third one is this idea of outward righteousness. And the best example of this is the Pharisees. Now, if you don't know who the Pharisees are, they were... Um, people at the time, during the time of Jesus, and they were leaders in the, the synagogue, and they were teachers of the law. And so if you ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these books that center on Jesus' life, you, they show up a lot because they're pretty much following Jesus and the disciples around, telling them where they've broken the law. <laughs> so you healed on the Sabbath, you didn't give enough money to the synagogue or to um, Caesar or whatever. And so that's what they, they do. Is that they basically are the, you know, the civilian police. You know, we're, the, we're the Old Testament law police. And so this is what Jesus says to them. Uh, Matthew 6, 1. He says, watch out. Do not do, do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. And what he's saying here is, your reward is that people will look at you and think you're righteous. Right? That's your reward. But don't do those things just to do to be admired in public, do them because you love Jesus, love God. And so he is really calling them out on this outward righteousness. And what I think about outward righteousness is that while it is an overflow of that whole relationship piece with Jesus, it can become a list, a checklist of things that you need to do, those Christian duties. I read my Bible, I pray, I go to church, instead of finding that grace and peace with Jesus. And so... While this is part of the equation, it is not really the whole equation of what Jesus is talking about. And so we're down to our last choice. So you have probably eliminated that this is the choice we're going to go with. So this is called implanted righteousness. And most people think that this is this idea that we are transformed and made righteous when our hearts are transformed from the inside out. And so it's this idea that we yearn for God to be with him and to be like him because we have that relationship with him. And it's an overflow of our heart that serves God alone. If we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we are to thirst for implanted righteousness. And one of the greatest concepts that I've heard, it's not mine, I stole it, but this whole idea of the posture of your heart. Just as if we had a posture for ourselves. Now, I have horrible posture. I'm like a leaner, you know me, like this. Uh, but um, when you think about your heart posture, it's really what does your heart think about God? When you approach God, how do you approach him? For some of us, we approach him with um, a surrender or trust, but some of us approach, maybe we've put him in a box, so he belongs in certain places and not others. So maybe he doesn't belong at work, right? <laughs> or maybe he doesn't belong in our everyday. Um, for others of us, we've decided we're going to do our own thing. 
we've got a better way. And, uh, and I think when we consider that, this implanted righteousness is truly about the posture of your heart toward God. And as we go into this and as we consider this idea of hungering and thirsting, it's important for each of us to consider what that posture is. How is our relationship with God? What is our heart? How does our heart connect to God? So that is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about, that seeking him so that we can be changed from the inside out. So the next question is obviously, what does it mean to hunger and thirst? Now, if you were to come up and tell me right now that you were heading out to Chipotle, I would drop the mic and tell Phil to come back up here. Because I love Chipotle, and I pretty much crave it all the time. Or chocolate chip cookies, but now they have to be gluten-free because I have an issue. Uh, (laughs) But that's not what this is talking about. So the Greek words for hunger and thirst, I am not going to pronounce them because I have no idea how to, uh, is this idea of desperation, right? It's not a craving. Like, I could go for some Chipotle. It's a desperation that we need God's righteousness, God's change, God's work in our heart. It's to have such an appetite that you can't live without it. The psalmists talk about this a lot. If you read any of the psalms, you've heard this kind of language of thirsting and hungering after God. Psalm 42 is the greatest example. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God. I don't know about you, but that is not always my first thought when I wake up, that I'm thirsting for God. When can I go and meet with him? My day gets busy, and I get going, and, and before I know it, it's, you know, six or seven, and I sometimes haven't spent time pursuing him, thirsting after him. And so how do we get to the point where we thirst after God? One of the things I've been experiencing recently is this um, I'm, I like to be sarcastic because I like to be funny. And, but sometimes sarcasm doesn't always come off as funny. Do you know what I mean? Like, right, it can be hurtful. And so there have been a couple of situations in my recent, in the last month where I was trying to be funny with my, my witty sarcasm that I picked up from my mother, I blame her. Uh, and, and it came off wrong, right? And it, ended up being misunderstood or maybe really understood, but I was just being mean. Uh, but I spent that time in this, this little circle of people thinking, how do I make this right? How do I make this right with the person I care about that I just use this sarcastic comment on? How do I make it right in my own heart? How do I get right where I use my humor in ways to encourage instead of to tear down? And with that, I became desperate for God to come in and change my heart about this, right? And to help me just even discern when it's appropriate, when it's not, and how to use my humor for his good. And in that moment, I became desperate for God. And that's what we're talking about, being desperate. So Thomas Wilcox, he is a 1,500 British clergyman. I know what you're thinking. How did you even find this quote? And so I read it in a more recent book that I just bought. So just so you know, but I think he describes this perfectly. He says this, the thirstier man is the, is, um, I can't read my writing. The thirstier man is more, um, the, the thirstier man is, the more he'll prize a cup of water. I'm, I'm mucking this up totally. Um, so the more he'll prize a cup of water because he's thirsty, um, the more our sins break and burden us, the more we'll treasure our healer and deliverer. The more 
our sins break and burden us, the more we'll treasure and hunger and thirst after God. We hunger and thirst by realizing we need God to show up, right? Hungering and thirsting is starting with the desperation that we are not enough, but Jesus is, right? We are not enough, but Jesus is. This feels really counterintuitive, especially for a life coach, because we spend our, our days helping our clients feel that they are enough, that they can accomplish the, their goals. But somewhere along the line, we've decided that God needs us for our skills instead of for our heart, right? God needs us for the things we can do instead of who he wants to know us and, and be. No amount of checklists can amount for a hunger and thirst for righteousness. We don't get there by making our faith a checklist. This kind of desperation comes when we come to the end of our rope, right? When we are at the end of our rope, much like the poor in spirit, and we say, we just need you to show up in our hearts, God. So hunger and thirst is realizing our need for God. And so the last bit, how do we become satisfied? Now, when I thought about satisfied or filled, I thought about the munchies. Now, please tell me people get the munchies. Does everyone get the munchies? I get the munchies. Now, I live in, uh, well, it's a medium-sized townhouse, but for some reason, the kitchen is like a matchbox. So if you were to start walking in my kitchen and blink, you would miss the kitchen and you'd be in the living room. That's how small it is. And so it's maybe a foot wide, maybe a foot and a half. And I'm a night owl. I'm not a night owl like Phil, because I don't stay up till 3 a.m., but I... I'm a night owl. I stay up till midnight, maybe. And about 10.30, I always get the munchies, right? Like, dinner has worn off. I am not ready for bed yet. And so I go in the kitchen, and I can literally, like, grab all the cabinets within, like, just by spinning around. And so go in there, and I'm, like, rummaging through. Where are the chips? Where are the whatevers? And I stand there, and, you know, I eat some chips. Okay, not now, because I'm on paleo, but before I was doing this. And so... And then I'd sit back down, and then I'd realize, I am not satisfied. <laughs> so obviously, there's something else that I need. Maybe a Snickers, because, you know, that's an old commercial, but, uh, you know, Snickers satisfies you. Uh, those of you who are my age, you know. All right, so this whole idea that I, we just can't get satisfied with the Frito-Lays, right? So what I was thinking is God's economy is not like Frito-Lays economy, right? That uh, he wants to satisfy our hunger and thirst for him. And he wants what we get satisfied with to be him. Max Lucado talks about this in his book, The Applause of Heaven. He says this, righteousness, that's it. That's what we are thirsty for. We're thirsty for a clean conscience. We crave a clean slate. We yearn for a fresh start. We pray for a hand which will enter the dark cavern of our world and do for us the one thing we can't do for ourselves, make us right again. That's why we hunger and thirst for that, right? When we hunger and thirst for God and his things, we crave what he wants, and we get satisfied, right? We crave what he wants. Psalm 145, 16 says this, when you open your hand, and it's talking about God, when God, you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing, right? He satisfies that if we will turn to him. So I thought about this, and I thought, well, um, well, first, I want to say we are satisfied and filled when we trust God to provide everything we truly need, right? That's when we're satisfied. But I feel like a lot of times we let things stand in our way from being satisfied, right? So the first thing we, we let 
that gets in our way is that we're too easily satisfied, right? We tend to look to other things to be satisfied. So in Jeremiah 2, God talks about this a little bit. And so he's talking to the nation of Israel, and he says this, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So what is he really saying? Because that sounds really confusing. So first of all, cisterns were these big clay pots that they planted kind of in the ground, and it would hold rainwater. So it would be kind of their source of water. Apparently, they were not concerned with diseases back then. I do not understand. I'm not getting my water out of a clay pot. But, um, but they, uh, that was their source of water. And so what God is saying is, I was going to provide you with living water. I was going to provide you with water that satisfied. But what they said to God was, no thanks, we have this covered, we're going to go and dig our own cisterns because yours are not good enough. And I wonder how often you and I do that, right? We tend to look to other things instead of what God provides. So Max in his book, um, The Applause of Heaven, has this, this hilarious story. I feel like it's hilarious, maybe you won't. Uh, about his two daughters when they were young. They are now adults, married kids, but they were five and three, and he took them to one of those indoor playlands where the pool is filled with the plastic balls. Do you know what we're talking about, right? So uh, the girls get in, and then in the center is this kind of funny contraption that's blowing air, so you can put the plastic balls on top, and they, whoo! And so um, they get in, and the five-year-old makes a beeline to the the contraption with the air uh, so she can start playing, and the three-year-old immediately grabs a ton of balls, plastic balls. And she immediately goes down. <laughs> like She's underneath this sea of plastic balls. Max can't see her. So he's yelling at her. Not really yelling, but he's saying, let go of the plastic balls. There's more where you need to go. And he hears from underneath, no. <laughs> All right, I feel like I relate to her. And so, and so he does this several times. And she continues to say, no. And so he calls the older sister over and says, will you help her? you know, release her grip on these plastic balls so that she can make her way over to the the play area. And so the the five-year-old goes in, gets um, drawn into the current of the, (laughs) I'm not letting these go, and now they're both underneath. And he's still calling from the (laughs) top, would you just let go of them? (laughs) No. And so I wonder how many of us are like the younger sister, right, when it comes to our life. Maybe we're not hanging on to, obviously, the plastic balls in the play pool, but maybe we're hanging on to a career. Maybe the career we have, or maybe the career we always wanted. Maybe we're hanging on to a relationship that maybe, or the idea of a relationship. I know as a single adult uh, who thought she'd be married by now, uh, that vision of having that, that one person. Maybe that's what I, I feel like, God, that's my, my sister, and that I feel like I know what I, I need. Maybe it's a position, maybe a promotion at work or a leadership position elsewhere. Maybe, now I'm meddling with my own life, food could be something we're hanging out to, or clothes, because everyone needs a new outfit. (laughs) But at what point is God asking us to let go? Because there's plenty right where he is, right? At what point is he asking us to let go? Because there's plenty. So that is one way I think we... Uh, that gets in our way from um, being fully satisfied. The other way, real quickly, is this idea of striving, that we can earn approval from others and from God. And so we get on that hamster treadmill, and we, we say yes when we should be saying no. 
and we don't take care of ourselves. We let whatever the need is become what's most important. And we've lost track of the fact that God makes us important. Uh, Jenny Allen, in her book, Nothing to Prove, she talks about this a lot. She's been talking about it for a couple years because she got to a point in leading. She leads this um, thing called the If Gathering. It's for women, uh, and it's kind of worldwide. They do telecasts every year, and it's this big conference. And she got to a point where she felt like she was not enough to, to do this. She didn't have the skills. And through the course of a year, God just showed her that I didn't want you to lead this because you have the skills. I want you to lead this because you have a heart for me. And so to drop the, the list of things to do. And so she writes in this book, Nothing to Prove, about her story. But she also writes little snippets in each chapter from Jesus' perspective. What would Jesus say to us? And so this quote is from that area where Jesus is talking. It says, I want you to be free from striving, free from your doubt, free from your pride that cares more about achieving something than you care about receiving something. I am enough. And I wonder today how many of us care more about achieving something than receiving something from Jesus, right? Jesus talks about this whole idea that he can fill us in John 7. He says, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. The Greek word here actually means streams from your innermost being coming out, flowing out from you. And this living water indicates the Holy Spirit, right? And so as we seek God and as we hunger after him, how he fills our hearts up. As we close today, we've talked about this, but the kingdom of heaven is not about what you do. It's about the state of your heart. And I think as we close, I just want to ask you where the state of your heart is today when it comes to hungering and thirsting for righteousness. As... Um, with my life, if you come to my life coach uh, group sessions, you know that I talk about this a lot. But this idea that um, we change our lives not in huge, gigantic steps of I'm just going to change and everything's going to be different, much like my paleo adventure. I'm just going to change everything I eat. But in baby steps, we change our life in baby steps. And so what is your baby step today when it comes to hungering and thirsting for righteousness? For some of you, your baby step is different, right? Your baby step is you've never heard any of this before. You finally understand what that righteousness actually means being made right with God, right? This is, this is where you're investigating. And maybe your baby step today is taking one little step toward Jesus, one little step to read more of the Bible or to pray or to just understand what God is saying about himself in the Bible. For, for others of us, our baby step is laying down our checklist, right? That we've made our faith a checklist of things we need to, to do. And we need to experience that a relationship is not about earning God's favor, but about seeking after him. For others of us, we need to let go of some of those plastic balls that we are holding so tight, right? We need to let go because the kingdom of heaven is not about what you do. It's not about what you have. It's about the state of your heart. So let me pray for you as we close.